Amen. Father God, I thank you for the uh, privilege of sharing your word. And I, I pray, Father God, that the word uh, goes forth uh, to the blessing and benefit of the hearers, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's get right into it. Uh, you know, there's been a theme this morning. And again, I tell you, we don't coordinate these things. But today, it's kind of hard to not have some overlapping, some overlap uh, for what we've been encouraged by in worship and uh, what we're, what, what uh, my darling wife Christy said and uh, what God is going to bring forth in the word. And no need to complicate this thing. Uh, the message today is the Lord is risen indeed. Amen. And so uh, just a little bit of a, of a slight uh, twist, but Luke 24. We're going to spend most of this morning in Luke chapter 24. And uh, and then we'll conclude with some verses that uh, show the benefits that we have and, and, and the blessing that we have as a result of Jesus rising indeed and conquering the cross. All right? Starting at the first verse, Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. I want to just stop there for, for a second. Um, Jesus going to the cross, being nailed to that cross, being brutally beaten like he was, as grotesque and as hideous and as heartbreaking as that is, Jesus had been telling his disciples that that was the very reason he was here all along. He has spoken on several occasions that he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be crucified. But he also said he was going to rise on the third day. And sometimes along the way, his followers either, it never registered in their minds or in their hearts what he was saying. So when this blessed event happened, when our Savior was crucified, instead of rejoicing and saying, this is a fulfillment of that which our Savior had been telling us this whole time, they were sad, depressed, remorseful, thinking that it was over. They were not expecting our Savior to rise again. All they knew was that he was dead. Are you hearing me? And so they are, so we have the women that go to the, 
uh, to the tomb. They're bringing their spices and ointments and everything to to minister to his body in that way. And and they remembered only when the angels reminded them of what he had been telling them all along. And suddenly in that moment, when they were reminded of it, they remembered. And they went from discouragement to hope. How many times are we walking in discouragement in our lives? And we need to be reminded of the reason that there is that, the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, this cross is a symbol. And we've got to challenge ourselves as to what it is that we are believing and what it is that, uh, that the Savior that we're worshiping. Are we worshiping a Savior that is still nailed to the cross? Or are we worshiping a Savior who conquered the cross and rose again? Okay? Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He died on the cross as the Lamb of God, but he has risen, proven, proving that he is the Son of God. Amen? Proving that he is the resurrection and the life. And sometimes life beats us down and our focus changes. Our focus lowers Jesus in our minds. We don't mean to do it. It just happens subconsciously. Sometimes we are, we are saying one thing but behaving in another. And we have to be challenged. We have to be reminded like these precious women who went there to love and minister uh, to the body of Jesus when they were reminded they remembered. And returning, let's move on, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But the, here we go. But these words seemed to them as idle tales. And they did not believe them. Think about that for a second. We're not talking about people who are hearing the gospel or hearing the gospel of the kingdom for the first time. We're talking about disciples who had walked with Jesus his entire ministry. They had seen the miracles. They had seen how he loved on everyone. They had seen him. uh, They had heard him preach the scriptures, preach the truth of God's word. Three of them had seen him transfigured. They'd seen him do the things that only the Messiah could do. And yet, here is what discouragement can do to you. Here is what... Am I getting ahead of myself here a little bit? Well, so what? Here is what... Here is what misguided expectations can do to you. Because Jesus had been telling them all along that he was going to suffer and die. That his kingdom was not of this world. 
He was going to die for the sins of mankind, but he was going to be raised again. He'd been telling them the whole time. But in their minds, they're thinking he's going to redeem Israel from this Roman oppression. And as long as he was alive, that expectation lived. But once he died, and we're and now we're into the third day, once he died, that expectation died with it. And I don't know about you, I've had many times in my life where I've placed expectations on God that wasn't his will for my life. Right? We can place expectations on God and have and, and, and have God in our minds, we're demanding God to do something that's in accordance with our will rather than lining up with his. And so their expectations were not met. And right along with that was discouragement, lack of hope. And so they're, and what have they done? They've retreated. They've retreated into their box. They've retreated into their, into their home. Door is locked. And even when the women come and give them this great news, it seemed like just idle tales to them. The very ones who should have been encouraged. And they didn't believe them. That tells me that we're susceptible to not believing the truth. If we allow false expectations or misguided expectations to lead us astray and to give ourselves, put our put ourselves in a vulnerable position for discouragement. That once we're in discouragement, if we wallow there, then the truth won't even resonate with us. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever, but I'm, uh, I, I can tell you from my own life experience that I know this to be true. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. There's a little bit of spark and hope in Peter. He ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, in John, it says that John also went, and he said, my Lord, my God. He believed. Peter, he marveled. <laughs> All right? I just wanted to bring out that distinction. He marveled. But there was just a little bit. Could it be? He's not in that belief mode yet, but 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 hope is beginning to spark. Hope is beginning to rise. And enough, enough so that he at least went. I'm going to move on to verse 25. And we're going to talk about a couple of other individuals whose names are not given who were pretty much in the same boat as the women when they approached the, t uh, the tomb and uh, the disciples when they delivered the report of what happened at the tomb. These two men on their way to Emmaus, they're talking about the events of the past few days. I'll get into the details about what they talked about uh, uh, later. But Jesus, unbeknownst to them, meets up with them and joins in their little stroll to Emmaus. And they embark on this conversation. And at some point, 
after they've explained all the events of what happened and what they believed and everything, Jesus finally says to them, oh, he gets enough of it. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, these, were, these guys were disciples themselves. They were good men. They were godly men. They were just discouraged men, and, and, and they had lost hope. And they so much so that they're in the presence of Jesus and don't recognize it. How many of you know we can be in his presence and not recognize it? They don't recognize it. And, they, and so then he begins to chastise him. And then what does he do? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. They still don't recognize who he is, by the way. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So in the breaking of bread, he blessed it. They recognized him, and they began to recognize, you know what? When he was talking with us on the road to Emmaus, our hearts were burning within us. Just like our hearts are burning with us now that he's in the scriptures with us and, and expounding on those things. And notice, hope began to rise in them and they rose that hour and returned to Jerusalem. This is something they needed to go and tell the brothers and the sisters, their fellow disciples in the Lord. Only to come up on the scene, they're already praising God, saying the Lord is risen because he has presented himself to Simon. You know, why am I saying this? I want to point out, and I'm taking some painstaking <laughs> effort to do this, the difference in their attitude and demeanor when they were not in he is risen mode. And how everything changed. Once they believed, once they knew and believed that he is risen. You know, it's one thing for Jesus to die for us. There's a lot of people throughout this world that has, that has laid their life down and died for somebody. But you know, our salvation is not just in Jesus' death. His death didn't prove who he was. His resurrection proved who he was. Right? If not for his resurrection, all right, 
there would be no salvation. Are you hearing me? So it's, it's okay and it's wonderful. We need to remember the cross and remember all the things that he suffered on it. But we best not forget that he rose again and conquered the cross. We best not forget that he is risen indeed. And in those situations in our life where all hope seems gone, where there's nothing but discouragement and nothing but challenge, there's nothing but hurdles and so forth and so on, if we could easily lose hope if we forget that he is risen. Just knowing that Jesus conquered the world. Knowing that Jesus conquered everything that I'm going to go through. Knowing that my life is in his hands. That my salvation is sealed in heaven. Amen? That I have an eternal salvation. I have an eternal security in him. You know, that gives me an anchor for my soul. Right? And knowing that because he lives forevermore. Though my days on this earth are numbered, my end on this earth is not the end of me. My end on this earth begins my eternity with him. Amen? Because he is risen. Let, uh, uh, let's continue to go on. I, I, I don't want to say that too long. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, so they brought the report to the fellow, to their fellow disciples. As they were talking about these things, Jesus just pops up and stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Uh, that, that second disbelief for marveling, I don't, obviously they knew it was him. You know how sometimes you ask God for something and you get it and you're like, man, I can't believe that. Right? <laughs> it was, you know, it was more, it was just amazement. Man, I can't believe this is Jesus. And he says, have you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words. And see, now he's about to do the same thing he did with the, uh, the two brothers on the way to Emmaus. Emmaus. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so, so he reminds them of all the things that the Scripture said. This was a fulfillment of prophetic 
scripture for fulfillment of prophecy. All these things that happened to me must have happened in order to fulfill the prophecies concerning the Messiah. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Are you hearing me? And the issue is settled in their hearts that Jesus has indeed risen. And why would he do what he did? Why would he go through all these prophecies, go through the Psalms, go through all these things in order to open their minds to the truth of why he came? Well, remember, they were all depressed and, and, and didn't lacked hope because they had certain expectations of what Jesus had come for. I don't know why I'm doing all this stuff. I'm sorry, y'all. It be a dance or something. They had these certain expectations that didn't get met. And so Jesus is clarifying in the scriptures what his mission was the entire time. This is the mission. What happened on the cross was always the mission. Him rising again on the third day after dying on that cross was the mission. So that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It wasn't necessarily to, you know, to, to, to topple governments and all this other stuff. It was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And that there is a life beyond this one. All right, there is an eternity for everyone, some to destruction, you know, some to the lake of fire through all eternity, separated from God, others, eternity with the creator, our heavenly father, God. And that is the chess game that is being played. So we don't want to be playing checkers as in our life as we're walking through this life, walking in the Lord. All right, we want to be playing the game that God has played, that God has marked out. That's what it is about. The souls of man. And we have to point this generation, like any other generation, to the cross. To the gospel. To the only eternal hope that we have, which is in him. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, he was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. There is a joy that overtakes you, a joy that you can't quite get rid of. Once you know who Jesus is and, and, and you know that he's your redeemer, you know the salvation of the Lord, you know who he is, you know what he's done, right? You know who you are in him, you know the mission of God, and you know the calling of God. I mean, and so 
they are rejoicing now because they are fully aware. They didn't understand these events before, and they were confused and discouraged. Now that they are fully aware of the plan of God, what Jesus did, what he's accomplished, and what he's calling them to, they are rejoicing and they're blessing God. You know, and I, I just declare over you that you will come to that place. Where you know that you know that you know that, that Jesus is on the inside of you. That, that, that the salvation of the Lord is secure and not something that can be lost. That he has saved you to the utmost apart from your performance. Is that a license to sin? No. But, but, but let not your need to be sanctified in some areas cause doubt in your heart as to the salvation of the Lord pertaining you to you. Amen? He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. And, I, and I'm going to read a few scriptures and let that, and really just hopefully let that sink into you. Hebrews 10 verses 12 to 14 say this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Notice, he has perfected those who are being sanctified. Right? Sometimes we think because we're not quite there yet, because we're not sanctified, all right, we're not, we're not perfected. But think about the great exchange here, all right? He became what? Sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that great substitute. So we are perfected in him because we are in him, all right? As imperfect as we might be, it makes no sense whatsoever to the natural mind. As imperfect as we are, we are perfected in him. Some of us are going to have to spend some time thinking about that. Meditate on that. When God sees us, he sees us in Christ. He sees Christ in us. He doesn't see us as imperfect vessels of sin. He sees us as sons and daughters who have received the gift of salvation, who has believed on him whom he has sent. Amen? And thereby received the salvation of the Lord. We are born again. We are new creations. We're not what we used to be. We may look the same. And sometimes we may act the same. <laughs> but make no mistake about it, we are not what we used to be. And if you're going to get free from some of the sins and entanglements of your past, you're going to have to have your mind renewed to what God says you truly are. Okay? Okay? Because the mind is a powerful place, right? Okay? 
I mean, what you, the, the thoughts that you entertain, the things that, uh, whatever you believe and feed your mind with, that's going to have a powerful influence on what you're able to do or not do. All right? And the more that we get into God's word and begin to speak about ourselves, what God's word says about us, once we begin to convince ourselves that I am not just a filthy old sinner. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. All right? I am no longer a slave to sin. All right? I am the redeemed. I am of the beloved. Amen? I am saved. I am of a royal priesthood. Right? We need to know this is what we are. This is how God describes us and defines us. If, and if in order for us to believe that's what we are, then we're going to have to remind ourselves that's what we are. We're going to have to begin to see ourselves as that being what we are. Right? Uh, a, 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 a young prince doesn't have to uh, concern himself with whether or not he's royalty. He was birthed into that. Right? He may be a snot-nosed little jerk. But he's still the future king. Right? He was born into that. All right? It was his inheritance. Right? It's who he is. He's still a prince, not a pauper. Right? And so we are princesses and princesses. Princes and princesses. We are of a royal priesthood. We are of the family of God. We are who God says, uh, who God calls us to be. We are in his household, in his family now. All right? And so we're going to have to accept the fact that we've been accepted into the beloved. Amen? And, and why is that important? It's because, well, as long as we think of ourselves as whatever we were in Egypt, it's, it's going to continue to be a tie and entanglement that we cannot break free from. We're going to have to begin to forget those things that are behind us, right? And pressing toward those things that are before us, pressing before the, high, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to have to press forward in the things of God. Are you hearing me? And I know that's... That's a lot for three verses. And we are forgiven and eternally secure in Christ. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14 say this. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, here's what happened. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And the presence of that Holy Spirit is a seal of the promise that is yours. The eternal promise. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It might not be the perfect analogy here, but you know how you have to put up some collateral 
Or you got to have, or even better, you have to have somebody, um, you may not have the best credit to get a loan. So you got to have somebody come along with you as a guarantor, right? <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit is that guarantor, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Are you hearing me? And another reason it's important to remind ourselves that we are not uh, looking to a Savior that is on the cross, but just like the tomb was empty, the cross is empty, right? That we're looking to a risen Savior who is alive, that death couldn't hold him. He's alive forevermore. Why? Because we're, we're also going to be, uh, death is not going to be able to hold us either because we're in that Savior. Amen? That, 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 that's the reason to rejoice. That's the reason to praise all the more. And it, and it, and it puts into perspective, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. We are being raised again to eternal life. In Christ. First uh, Peter 1. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But was made manifest in the last times. For the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead. And gave him glory. So that your faith and hope are in God. Let's let our faith and our hope be in God. All right? Some of us have so much faith in bad karma that, 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 that we're afraid to venture out. We're afraid to trust God in certain areas because we just know something bad's going to happen. Can anybody relate to that? Don't raise, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. We have faith that things are not going to work out, but, but we need to have our faith in God and our hope in God, right? We don't, need, we, don't, we don't need our hope to be in someone else to try and fulfill us. Let our hope be in God, right? Let's let our faith and our hope rest in a resurrected Savior who is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting, starting at the 42nd verse, says this. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. And here's one of the things I want you to see. What is sown is perishable. These bodies are perishable. There is a lifespan. There is an end date to all of it. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. We're going to be getting new bodies. We don't know yet what we're going to be like, but we do know Scripture says that we're going to be like Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. Are you hearing that? 
It is sown in dishonor. I love this. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. I don't think y'all are excited enough. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Hallelujah. Is it no wonder then that Jesus said in John 14, first three verses to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Praise the Lord. So I know we got a lot of things going on in our lives. Life can be difficult. Life can be challenging. Life can be full of curves and and, uh, full of the unexpected. Life could be full of expectations and not being met and disappointments and discouragements. It can be full of those things. But, but, but Jesus is right in telling us, let not our hearts be troubled. Because in him and through him, every, these, these momentary troubles that we have to go through pale in comparison to what God has in store for us. Are you hearing me? In every one of these situations, you know, in, in every one of these situations, Um, whether you're talking pandemic or what have you, in every one of these situations, uh, you know, God is with us every step of the way. We might not feel it. And I so hope I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but no, if I say this, I will be getting ahead of myself. So I'm going to, uh, so as not to, it's an itch I got to scratch. I want y'all to go back to Luke 24, verse 13. We're going to talk about the beginning of that conversation with the two men on their way to Emmaus. And uh, and that'll be the final thing, and that'll be um, the conclusion. Uh, 13th verse. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And we've already talked about that and why. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're 
holding with each other as you walk. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, or Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Did you just crawl out from under a rock or something? And he said to them, what things? So I, I, I tell you what, the brilliance of Jesus in these conversations, when he encounters people, it, 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 always, it always amazes me. You know, open, open-ended question, what things? Pray tell, tell me more. And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So that shows you the expectations. Israel is under the thumb of the oppressive Roman government. We was hoping that he would, he would redeem Israel. So uh, our expectations didn't get met. We're disappointed. We were hoping, but they took him from us. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, they're telling what the women said, not that they believe it, right? That's why they're still sad. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So, the men explained what they did know. Gave him his name. Knew he was a prophet. Did mighty things. He was crucified, betrayed. They, they, they knew in his redemption included the redemption of Israel, but their understanding of what that redemption was going to look like was where the error was, right? And so they knew others had said that he had risen from the dead. Notice here, we were hoping. We were hoping. We're sad, we're disappointed, we're discouraged. We're taking this seven-mile walk to Emmaus and, and uh, trying to talk to ourselves and kind of figure these things out, what's going on inside us. Because we had hope, our expectations were not met. But here's the, one of the things I wanted to point out. In their minds, their, their hope was disappointed. Their expectation was not met. No, no, no. I want to, I want to shoot my words carefully. Their expectations may not have been met, but the hope that they had, that they thought was disappointed, despite what they felt, had not really been disappointed. 
Hmm. It wasn't truly disappointing. Jesus really was going to redeem Israel. He was going to redeem all mankind. All who would believe would receive the gift of salvation. Amen? It wasn't exclusive of Israel. It's just that it, um, it, it was Israel. We're all been grafted into that covenant. <laughs> so it was Israel and the whole world. All who believed would receive the salvation that Jesus would die and rise again to give us. And so Jesus would then show them that their true hope was fulfilled in him as he took them through the prophets and the law and all that. Let's go to another comment. They said, when they talked about what the women had said, the only thing they had to go on was the testimony of somebody else. And you know what? Isn't that true of us today? When I, when I share the gospel with someone who doesn't know the Lord, the only thing they have to go on is the gospel message and the testimony of the one delivering it to them. You know? And so they have these women's testimony, but they were slow to believe. The report of the women wasn't enough to persuade them beyond a shadow of a doubt. Neither was the report that Peter had also gone and saw the grave clothes in the tomb, but no body. And the grave clothes weren't just all uh, lumped in a pile like someone had discarded them and dumped them over into the dirty clothes pile on the floor. You know, it, it looked as though they once contained a body and then miraculously they didn't. So there's a little bit of glimpse of evidence that, that, that he who was dead in the tomb miraculously rose from the dead, right? Right out of his grave, uh, grave clothes. But apparently it was enough for them to remember and talk about, but it wasn't enough to convince them. Why do I say that? Because one of the last things they said is that they had not seen him. I, I don't know. I, I just want to encourage us. We can't always be slaves to what we can see and understand. While, I know, somebody's testimony can lead you to the Lord or their testimony can lead you astray. Right? So I know that that is not a, you know, you can't just go around believing everything that you say. But we ought to be able to relate to these people because many of us in here today are among those who follow Jesus. We walk with the Lord. And just like them... We sometimes don't have our expectations met. We pray to the Lord, and, and, and we put certain conditions on what we want God to do. And, and 
And we have certain expectations about how, how God ought to do that and, and how we want God to do it. And if things don't work in that way, we're disappointed. Our hope kind of dies in us. And it doesn't mean that God isn't moving. It doesn't mean that God didn't hear us. It, it, it just means that we couldn't see or hear God in his perfect will and how he wants us to move because we are looking at what we can see and we're asking God to do things in a way that we can understand. And I just want to challenge you just to abandon that and let go. All right? I just want to challenge you to, okay, God, I just want to make myself available to you, and I want you to speak to me. I want you to lead me. Holy Spirit, I'm giving you full license to, to flow in, the, in your office in my life. All right? I, I, I am not going to put expectations on you that you have to try and fit into this box of my expectations. Man plans his way, but God orders his footsteps. So, Father, I don't want my direction in my life that I'm asking you to bless. I want your direction in my life. I want you to speak to me concerning your will for my life. I don't want to be blind to the things that you've been telling me all along because I can't see past my misguided expectations. Amen? And so, but, but so Jesus, it's not a matter of if we're going to get to that point, sometimes we're going to get to that point. So I don't want to beat you up. You're going to be misguided with your expectations sometimes. But isn't it awesome to know that we have a Savior in Jesus who loves us and cares enough about us that he'll just pop up, talk to us, make our hearts burn, and, 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 and lovingly explain, lovingly uh, uh, reveal to us that which we have not been able to see up to that point. He doesn't have to do that, you know, but he cares and loves us enough that he took a stroll with these two guys whose names we still don't know. Showing me that our Savior didn't just go to the big name apostles. He didn't just go to the people who are important enough to be named in Scripture. He even went to some two random disciples that are unnamed, you know, uh, run-of-the-mill guys and, and revealed himself to them. Right? So it doesn't matter how important somebody is or seemingly important or how seemingly unimportant somebody is. Jesus loves us all the same. Right? Uh, we're all equally important in his eyes and to, to, to him. Are you, I hope you're hearing that. You are of great and, uh, and inestimable value to Jesus, the one who has risen. So, want you to know Jesus wanted to know from them what he wants to know from us today. Can we believe 
without seeing with our own eyes? Can we trust our God in whatever situation we're dealing with, even if we can't understand with our own minds? Can we believe without seeing with our own eyes? We can believe and we've got to believe based on the reliable eyewitness testimony. Every believer, everyone who's come to Christ has come to Christ based on the eyewitness of somebody else. The early church, many people came to believe in Christ because of the eyewitness accounts of the disciples turned apostles, right? This gospel message is one that is to be passed on. Testimony, eyewitness, we believe. Here's the evidence of why we believe. Here's what happened. And we're either going to embrace it in faith or we aren't, right? And if we could embrace in faith that this Jesus that none of us have ever seen, have never touched. Right? Did those of us, uh, none of us have ever walked with him on this earth. Yet we believe that he is the only begotten son of God. Yet we believe that he has been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That we believe concerning this Jesus, that he is the only way to salvation. There is none other by whom and through whom we can be saved. Amen? Now, if we can believe that for salvation, then surely... We can believe that he's for us. Surely we can believe that we can put our trust in him, do things his way, allow him to have full reign in our lives, right? And, and, and trust him even though we might face the unknown, even when our expectations are not met and we are struggling with discouragement, right? We can turn to him and believe that in this risen Savior, that in him there is hope. I don't see the pathway to hope right now, but I know who my Redeemer is. Okay? I don't see the pathway to victory right here, but I know my Savior was dead, but he didn't stay that way. The Bible says that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I don't feel like I can bust a grape right now. But the Bible says, greater is he who's in me. So it's not about what I can't do. It's about what he who's in me can do. Amen? And so let's remind ourselves of this risen Savior. What was, what was perceived to be an epic defeat 
was really what the Messiah had to go through. It was to his glory. Right? The cross was not the end of him. The cross was what he endured and it became the crowning of him. Are you hearing me? I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to have you, I'm going to ask you to please help your poor pastor out. Just singing this little chorus. And as we're singing this chorus, I want to offer open up the altar to anyone who has not given your heart to Jesus or anyone who is unsettled in your heart and not sure about your salvation in Jesus. You, you ought to be secure, right? And so I'm going, to, I'm going to just challenge you to come forward and, and receive the glorious gift of salvation from a loving God who gave his only begotten son for you to be with him in heaven throughout eternity. All right? And, and he doesn't want you to be confused or full of doubt or concerned about whether or not you are saved. If you have proclaimed Jesus Lord and Savior of your life and you don't have that security and peace about whether or not, then bring your questions up here. We're going to get you ministered to in the truth, and we're going to settle that issue in your heart. All right? Uh, uh, Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He rose. And so that proved his deity. That proved that he was divine. That proved that he was the Lord and Savior of all. That God accepted his sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Amen? And and, and all it says, all it's required of us is to believe on him whom he has sent. Believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. Pro, c confess him. Profess him as your Lord and Savior. And believe that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So, so I'm going to ask you to come up if that describes you this day. Um, Jesus died for your salvation. Why not let this be the day of decision to receive the salvation that he lovingly died for you hallelujah and as you are doing that we're just going to be singing this chorus because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he sing that again. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
God, we just thank you so much for Jesus, for sending your only begotten son as our sin substitute for the propitiation, the atonement of our sins. Father, Jesus deserved none of what he got, and and we don't deserve any of what we have been given in him. But thank you, Father God, that what we have, the salvation that you've offered us, that we have received, was not merit-based. For it is by grace through faith that we have been saved. It it was not merit-based. It was love-based, Father God. For you loved us with such so great a love that you were willing to put on this sinful flesh. You know, to send your son in this sinful flesh. To indignify him in such a way. All right. For him to pay the penalty, the full weight of our sin was borne by him. Him who knew no sin. So I thank you, Father God, that you've redeemed us through Christ. That you love us enough to endure that yourself. And Father, I thank you for the cross, but I thank you even more that Jesus rose. That he rose on the third day. Because it's in his rising, Father God, all right, that proved once and for all that he is exactly who he proclaimed himself to be. That he is the only begotten son of God and he is our salvation. (laughs) Hallelujah. And we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the resurrection, Father God. And Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God that has been sent, you know, that that uh, that Jesus, when he rose, he rose and he is at the right hand of you, Father God, and that he is interceding for us. We have a Savior who is for us, who is interceding for us. Every time Satan brings an accusation, every time the enemy has, has put something in front of us as a temptation and, 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 and ever he has a plan that he puts into effect for our lives, we have an advocate with the Father, our risen Savior. Who intercedes for us. Who's making a place for us. That where he is, we will be also. May we always be reminded, Father God, that our Savior is risen. May we always be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. May we always be reminded not to allow misguided expectations to poison our ability to see God at work in the unfolding of his uh, will and, and, and way in our lives. In short, Father God, just, just be, be glorified in us <laughs> and through us, Father God. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.